Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Listeners, in the last episode of the year, we're going to hear from Natalie Park about AI solutions and how they're helping automate what we do in the pharmacy. And if you're interested in hearing more about what I'm doing with maternal health, check out www.rxformom.com. And reach out if you are a pediatric pharmacist or pharmacist interested in maternal health. I'm looking for others who are also passionate about that and want to help with some content. Or maybe you're also a mom and have questions just like I did. So reach out. Let me know what you think about this project. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Dr. Natalie Park, is a pharmacist and co-founder of Pharmasol. Pharmasol is an AI-enabled pharmacy assistant that automates frequent conversations and tasks 24-7 and scales the digital interactions between pharmacy teams and patients. Previously, she conducted health outcomes and economics research at Novartis and worked on population health initiatives, including medication management optimization at Geisinger Health. She received her PharmD from Ohio State University and is pursuing a master's degree in computer science at University of York. Natalie, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I can share a little bit more about my background. And I think what a lot of people find interesting is how I became a pharmacy tech startup entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, as you can see, I've had a little bit of a non-traditional career path. And I think what happened is I was just really following my curiosity and what I thought was interesting. Um, so I initially went to pharmaceutical industry and did health economics and outcomes research. And what that entails is building economic models like budget impact models, cost effectiveness models, doing data analytics to demonstrate value of pharmaceuticals. But what that really allowed me to do is learn a little bit more about dynamics of, you know, pricing and reimbursement, the relationship between payers, pharmaceuticals, patients, health systems, which I found really interesting. And I think there's a lot of um, more education and transparent information about all this now. But I feel like when I first started learning about this in pharmacy school, not a lot of folks had good understanding of, you know, how these rebates or reimbursement pricing and work. And I really enjoyed learning about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's what I really enjoyed about health economics and outcomes research. And interestingly enough, that is what exposed me to digital health at first, because you can use all these same methodologies to quantify and demonstrate the impact of digital health solutions. And because digital health companies tended to be startups, I then became curious about startups. 
because that's not something I had been exposed to as a pharmacist, you know, as a, as a pharmacy student. So I started to just ask, what does that mean? What does it take to start a company? And I became, I had a lot of academic curiosity about the processes, mechanisms, and I um, started, you know, doing hackathons and mm-hmm. learned a little bit more about um, like startups, like what it means to ideate and conceptualize new solutions to solve the problems you care about. And then, which is what led me to go work at the innovation department of Geisinger Health. Mm-hmm. So where I got to work with a lot of startups from a perspective of, you know, health system, doing vendor assessments, um, listening to their pitches, seeing if there is a strategic alignment, building internal business cases, implementing pop health initiatives, and then going into outcomes research. Okay, we implemented this, what happened? And then I had an opportunity to move to the pharmacy department and have a similar role, but of course, very focused on medication management and optimization of, you know, in the continuum of medication utilization and also learned a lot of things while, you know, working at Geisinger in in both departments, you know, how do they make decisions? Um, How do we prioritize projects? What is it really like to work with clinicians and do change management, implement new tools, and that I think is kind of all, all of this led me to be really passionate about um, not only medication management, because I think I already have that in me as a pharmacist, but mm-hmm. really implementing a solution that can effectively solve problems. And that's what sort of led me to start Pharmasol, um and building what I'm building now. And, you know, there's a bit more to it, but um, it's a little bit of my background. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, people always love to know, you know, you see this bio or you see someone and you're like, wow, but how do they get to where I am? And so I think that helps to people to kind of see like, oh, I could do that too, or just, you know, it kind of helps piece together the, the journey. So, um, thanks for sharing about that. And we often find that it's, yeah, fine exploring what is interesting to us and, and what makes you curious. And, um, all right. So we've, you know, you shared, you did a little bit about the innovations at, at Geisinger and did, you know, how to how the whole world of like payment and, um, outcomes work, uh, within pharma, but, you know, did you have a natural kind of tendency to, to lean towards tech or how did you kind of um, brush up on those skills to, you know, get into AI and um, decide, Hey, yeah, tech, a tech entrepreneur is really kind of the route that I, that's my skill set and, and how I'm going to, you know, go about making some improvements uh, in this, you know, industry. I think it was pretty unintentional of how I be how I became a tech entrepreneur, and I think you know interestingly what happened is that it, I started studying computer science in 2020, and that was actually because 
of what I was doing, you know, in health economics and outcomes research. And okay. I think being in HOR exposed me to, you know, a little bit of data analytics and mm-hmm. programming aspect. And I feel like this is around a time where predictive analytics was becoming very popular. I, th- I think it was already popular, mm-hmm. but um. I think a lot of machine learning methods, there was a lot of hype around it. And I actually felt like I needed to um, educate myself a little bit more about Mm -hmm. um, these methodologies that I didn't really understand. And actually, it would have made more sense if I studied data science. But again, as mentioned, I love learning. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't know much about computer science. So this seems like a fun thing to learn. And I thought it would give me the foundational knowledge to really understand machine learning methods deeply. Mm-hmm. But initially it was all to, not all to, initially this was largely for my HUR career. But then I think it really opened doors for a lot of things that I didn't expect I was going to learn because in the program, you know, I was learning about like, I mean, just algorithms, data structures, and there was a class in, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning methods. But one of the things that was impactful for me and what contributed to me ultimately pursuing this role as a tech entrepreneur is that I actually had to build a recommender system as part of my homework. And for those of you who are not familiar with what recommender system is, this is the engine that drives Amazon recommendations, for example, or Netflix recommendations that Hmm. sort of understands what you like, what you don't like, look at your patterns, look at people similar to you and what their patterns are. And it recommends you, you know, what they think. Yeah. Like I had to build one of those things as a homework assignment okay it 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 kind of made me sorry about that notification but it made me think a lot about my experience as a consumer Mm -hmm. you know my experience with amazon spotify netflix and i was like you know it's pretty good i feel like these systems know me pretty well Mm -hmm. and then at the same time was working at a health system and you know, experiencing the challenges that I was seeing in healthcare system. And I just started to ask myself, why couldn't healthcare experience just as good or tailored and personalized as consumer experience? Yeah. And I started to ask myself that question. And at the time, I was also writing a blog about about what I was learning in my computer science classes and about healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because I just wanted an opportunity to kind of reflect on what I was studying. Mm-hmm. And that is what motivated me to, you know, build a product that can bring a little bit of this convenience, personalization, um, and really smooth experience for patients taking medications, but also clinicians who want to provide these experience to their patients. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about Pharmasol and what it is, um, who, 
has been interested in it or maybe um, started using it. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about the company. Yeah, so Pharmasol is an AI-enabled pharmacy assistant. And for healthcare organizations, you know, the problem we want to solve for them is the fact that they perpetually lack clinical capacity mm-hmm. to provide the experience they want to give to patients. Because again, and I think we, you know, understand that as pharmacists, there's unlimited amount of kind of work for us to do. There's all these education that we want to provide to patients. I wish I could check up on this patient every day and like see how they're doing. Are they dizzy? Is this medication actually working for them? Do they actually know how to use this medication? Mm-hmm. But practically, we don't have that time. And yeah. that's what I heard from you know physicians, nurses, pharmacists over and over and over again. And you also hear from patients. When you actually get a time to talk to them, patients really appreciate you know that coming from you. They're like, oh my God, I've, nobody has ever explained to me the difference between a controller inhaler and a rescue inhaler. And I've mm-hmm. had asthma for years, but until now, I just didn't understand that difference. But now I do, and you know that motivates them to kind of adhere to their regimen. And now they can properly effectively use different inhalers for, for different use cases. Mm-hmm. So we aim to scale those um, interactions between clinical teams and patients, Um, whether it's by automating um, other administrative conversations or by doing the information gathering. So in a pharmacy setting, for example, like today, a lot of patients may call the pharmacy to ask, hey, do you have this medication in stock? Um, When can I pick up the refill? Can I change my delivery date? Or the pharmacy may have questions to the patient um, and this follow-up that I mentioned, hey, like, you know, it's been a few days since you started the medication, so how are you feeling? Um, or even things like medication reconciliation. Um, mm-hmm. That's very important and core to medication management, but it, it takes time, but we also know how those conversations should go and how it, it is going to go, which is, I think, a great place for technology to fit in an automation technology you know, we're, we're using AI to have those conversations, bring those information back to clinicians to say, hey, um, the patient feels like the medication is not working for them, but they actually haven't missed any doses. They're, they're taking it as directed, but they feel like it's not effective. And this is why they feel like it's not effective. So then now the clinician has the information to, you know, do the medical decision-making. Okay, do I now titrate the dose? Do they maybe need a different agent um, and have that further conversation with patients? So how we really see it is being able to being able to scale the reach and effectiveness of clinical teams that are managing medications for patients. That's that's what we do. And from patient perspective, it's you know, a bit like having having a personal assistant, a personal maybe pharmacist um, who checks up on you and can ask some of the frequently asked questions about how does this medication work? Like, how should I use this? Um, like, why am I even taking this medication? Um, things like that and providing them a 
concierge-like service, you know, who's there 24-7, who understands patients, where they're coming from, their history, what they've experienced previously, or even like, uh, you know, someone who actually speaks their language, if, you know, English is not their native language, for example. Mm-hmm. So Natalie, have you seen this um, be, who's been most excited about this? Um, has it been the community pharmacy setting, health systems, health plans that have call centers and are trying to, you know, manage and um, have more of a, a touch on their members? Um, what types of uh, you know, touch points have real, have you been able to kind of get to see the value of this? I think the organizations um, that are most excited about our product is it, it's the teams that are currently providing really high touch services to patients. Mm-hmm. So specialty pharmacy is an example, because if you think about it, they are the ones who are talking to patients a lot coordinating on whether it's about insurance or financial assistance um, because there's a lot of challenges for access and affordability especially for high cost specialty medications and those medications go through specialty pharmacies for a reason that Mm -hmm. is complicated a lot of injectables so again a lot of education needed on how do you use this injection? And of course, even if you provided that education, patients may not remember, may need a reminder later. And they also tend to cause more complications, which is why they currently do a lot of the monitoring and assessment to ask, hey, um, you know, are you actually feeling better? Are you scratching yourself? less frequently at night? How are you sleeping? Do you have any adherence challenges? And really digging into why. And that aligns really well with the functionality we have in doing all of this monitoring, assessment, information gathering. And then we're able to have their staff engage in, you know, really critical patient patient engagement activities for those that who, who need an intervention from a pharmacist. And similarly, you know, other um, organizations who may currently be having a lot of these interactions with patients are, you know, hub services, patient support programs, um, whether it's run by pharma or other organizations, and then some other settings that where this again happens a lot, like transition of care post-discharge teams, as as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, because you know we just cannot. Uh, there's so many things that that those high touch uh, patients need, and being able to automate um, is so helpful. I know you know there's always the what if. AI or this computers take all of our jobs. Like, I think that, that, the you know, the converse has kind of really been shown is that, you know, no, then pharmacists are able to be freed up to do, um, you know, there's still some, some errors and things that might, um, happen with, 
um, with AI. Uh, and so just, you know, being able to do some of that, like just data gathering and things and like inputting in fields or that sort of thing can just really free up. Um, I think patients still really enjoy that personalized, um, you know, experience that they get with a pharmacist or other healthcare provider. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I think where pharmacists knowledge and their training really should be is in this medical decision-making, right? Like, so, okay. Patient feels like the medication isn't working or they're not able to tolerate the medication. So then what does that mean? Because today, a lot of pharmacists just by just because it's part of the workflow, a lot of the times they're actually spending time trying to get a hold of patients, right? Either you're just like on the phone, but you're not able to reach the patient. But what if that was already taken care of? And then you actually have the information you need. So then you are able to spend that time to actually adjust their, you know, regimen or optimizing medication management rather than doing sort of those tasks. Or I was talking to this one pharmacy where their pharmacist is on the phone three to four hours a day, calling patients, asking about, hey, when are you going to be home so I can yeah. ship this medication to you? I I don't think that's the optimal use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pharmacist training and knowledge. And, and that's um, how we envision helping, you know, pharmacy technicians, pharmacists practice really at the top of their license. And that in turn, I know will help patients and optimize their outcomes. And we always want to reach more patients. I've literally never met a clinician who told me that they've been able to reach all the patients they plan to for the day. I've literally never met a clinician tell me that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's plenty of patients that um that are waiting um to really be able to have that meaningful conversation and interaction yeah yeah and i would assume that you know that any groups that are doing mtm or any other kind of um comprehensive medication management would probably also pop health um kind of uh departments or or units as well. So talk to us a little bit about, um, accuracy, um, and you know, what that looks like, uh, you know, when we're using machines that data is only as good as what you put in, you get out. So tell us a little bit about how you guys handle that. Yeah, that's a really important topic for AI and healthcare. And recently, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've been seeing on LinkedIn a lot. I think uh, Long Island University uh, did a study and I think they presented at the ASHP conference about how ChatGPT is not able to answer questions about medications. Yeah, I think I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's almost expected, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because ChatGPT is not a product that is made for healthcare. So the data they're using is just data that's available. And I mean, they had to train on a massive amount of text data, but the purpose of GPT, you know, 3.5 GPT-4 or the product that ChatGPT is, their purpose 
is not to be able to have clinical conversations. It's not to be able to answer questions about medications. And that's why, of course, it's not able to give an accurate and reliable response. Yeah. So when we're building our product, we're using large language model as a user interface. We're using it as natural language processing technology, which mm-hmm. it is, but not as a source of information because mm-hmm. it's meant to be a source of information. And that's why we've developed our proprietary knowledge library that's vetted and curated by currently practicing pharmacists. Mm-hmm. That's how we ensure you know the information we may be providing is accurate and reliable because it's coming from our own library and that is our source of information. And the reason we do that is not only that it's accurate and reliable, but I also want this to be insightful to patients. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, you know, the role of a pharmacist is not to regurgitate what's in the textbook or what's in the medication label. Mm-hmm. If, you know, a patient asks, okay, like, what are the, you know, common side effects for this medication? I'm not going to just like read off 20 potential side effects. It can cause 20 potential side effects. That's not really helpful for the patient. And we don't do this because it's going to overwhelm them. It's just when you give too much information, everything's going to sound irrelevant. And that is actually exactly what happens in today's interaction where no, a lot of the patients don't look at that that medication guide or label because it just feels overwhelming right and the knowledge and insights pharmacists have also is based on managing patients in real life in practice like what are the common misconceptions patients have that trips them up and lead to non-adherence so actually what i mentioned about you know maintenance or controller inhaler and rescue inhaler that's one that's one insight that i have as pharmacists that a lot of patients don't know that information another Mm -hmm. is you know having gi side effects Mm -hmm. we've also interviewed a lot of patients and they say oh i i actually didn't realize that i was going to have diarrhea i didn't realize that i was going to have nausea and then i freaked out and i stopped taking the medication Yeah. And that's why we curated our knowledge library to be able to set the right expectations to to help patients. Um, So that's how we um, ensure, you know, our product is accurate and reliable, but also insightful and helpful for patients. And, you know, there are additional things we do, like establishing guardrails. So certain topics are out of scope for us. So our system just simply will not respond or, you know, having different conversation flow algorithms in place, which knows when to say what or when to simply escalate to a human. Because again, mm-hmm. it's out of scope, like, you know, certain questions we we don't answer or in certain situations, we actually ask a follow-up question rather than responding. Mm-hmm. Because that's how normal conversations work. I'm not gonna. I if patient asks me a question, my response, quote unquote, maybe to ask them follow up questions. Because now I need to dig deeper, rather than rather than just saying something. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Um, I think that's, you know, very reassuring when people do see something kind of negative that, you know, some of the things that you're thinking through to, to do that. Okay. So accuracy, but, um, another important point, regulations. So what are you seeing FDA or others, um, boards of pharmacy, anyone else? I know, I guess in the last few weeks, um, in Congress, there's been a ton of, you know, discussion on AI, um, have there, you know, are, is the FDA calling it a medical device? What, what kind of, um, you know, guard guardrails or what kind of, Things are you seeing from a regulatory perspective? I think um, maybe, uh, yeah. Good thing is that, you know, FDA, I think, has been trying to get ahead or mm-hmm. follow up with the advance of technologies. And they have regulations and guidelines on what is medical device and what is not. And right. So for example, you know, if you independently diagnose a disease state, then now you are regulated as medical device. If you are giving medical advice, then you you may be regulated as medical device. So what we're doing is that that's also why we our product will not give medical advice to patients, as in you should take this medication or you shouldn't take the medication or you should increase the dose because that involves medical decision making and I think there are a lot of things to be considered in making those judgment calls and that's why we perform the tasks of information gathering and you know learning about how the patient is doing and what their experience has been with the medication so then we can inform a clinician to make that judgment um, and medical decision-making on on what the regimen really needs to be. Mm -hmm. I think other aspects of AI regulation, um, we're also paying attention to kind of what's um, happening in Europe. I think Europe sometimes tend to be a little bit mm, more advanced than Mm -hmm. at times. There's a lot of, you know, privacy, security of information, the data that you're gathering about patients. So we're, of course, making sure, you know, everything is encrypted, um, making sure our product is HIPAA, and we're only utilizing the data for, you know, the purposes that we need to be able to um, benefit our customers and patients. One interesting Mm -hmm. thing, I think, is... Uh, letting your end users and customers know that this is not human. So make yeah. a disclaimer that uh, it may sound like human, but it's mm-hmm. it's actually an automated medication assistant or AI that you're interacting with. And that's also a disclaimer that we share with uh, the patients or end users. Hey, I actually am not able to answer. I may not be able to answer all your questions. Mm-hmm. And if those situations arises, we will triage to the appropriate um, clinician to be able to answer that. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Natalie, this has been really interesting. Thanks um, for, you know, sharing about what you're doing uh, in the terms of pharmacy and AI. I know Apparently, I didn't get to go this year. We have a new baby, but at ASHP, the all the AI sessions are apparently packed. Uh, so I think there's definitely um, people are, are taking a look, and uh, I think people will really enjoy this episode. So um, as the final question that I love to ask all of our guests, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their career? Mm-hmm. I think I would like to tell my younger self to go out there and meet more people. Um, I think it's helpful and be focused in, you know, the area that you're in and the career that you're pursuing, if you have a pretty solid idea of where you want to be. But that's something I've been able to do more after, you know, I became an entrepreneur and it has helped me grow so much and learn so much and realize that there is so much out there. Um, and that's been really helpful for my personal and professional growth. So I wish I did that more. <laughs> so I think that's the advice I would give. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, people always get kind of scared by the term networking. Um, but, and, you know, as pharmacists, a lot of us are tend to be a little more introverted, but, you know, people, um, are usually pretty willing to help you, you know, or, or answer some questions and things. So, um, I think, yeah, to your point, developing that entrepreneurial, uh, mindset and that growth mindset is really important. Uh, and that just helps, you know, I'm even hearing some things I'm like, Oh, we could collaborate on that in the future. Or oh, we could do that. So you've kind of just got to start thinking about like, um, you know, and I think you've mentioned it several times, your love of learning. So, uh, you know, just being able to like, learn it to like, listen and hear what other people are doing and see how we can make all boats rise up with the tide and uh, just help to continue to improve uh, the work that we're doing in our, you know, pharmacy profession. So uh, Natalie, it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. And for anyone that wants to to follow up, uh, she's got uh, her website, www.pharmasol.com, P-H-A-R-M-E-S-O-L dot com. And uh, yeah, we look forward to sharing the episode with our listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.